0: We all have our journeys, some long, some short, some harrowing, and some easy. What kinds of songs does God think we need for our journeys? For hope, for trouble, or for joy? Join us as we learn to sing God's songs from the Psalms. bought uh, some furniture, maybe from the store, or something that comes in a box. It might be a dresser, or it could be a uh, a bookcase, a nightstand, and uh, you start putting it together. And if you're like me, it's really tempting to go. I I know what I'm doing. I've done this before. I think this is how it goes. Have you ever done something like that? I uh, have done many projects like that, and one of the things that I learned is that every piece of furniture is different. Every company that makes it um, puts the instructions together a little bit differently. So I've learned to stop thinking I know how to do it and like do it all myself. And I've learned that I, I have to read the directions probably beginning to end first because there have been so many times where whether I did it with no instructions or I would do it following a one instruction at a time and I would think I understood what it was talking about and I would just make a mess of it I would go I can I can do this myself I know how to do this I I I got the hang of this let me do it and I I've discovered that that's a really good way of messing up furniture of of misreading the directions um by uh, doing it my own way. I was thinking of that story because in my life and a lot of other people's lives, I think that's the motto we often live with. We often live with this idea that I can, I I've got this, I know how to do this, let me do this my own way. It, it might be the in a, uh, a work situation, if everybody at work would just listen to me, then everything would be better. Now, granted, I'm sure there are times where that's actually true, but so often everybody in the meeting has that attitude. If everybody just listened to me, I'll do it myself. I I know how to do this. I'm going to do my own thing. It's the same kind of thing that can happen in a family when everybody is wanting their own way, doing their own thing at the same time. Everybody saying, well, I'll just do this my own way at my own time. I don't need everybody else. Isn't that the way sometimes we are with God? Well, I, I know how to do this. I'm going to do this my own way. I don't need anybody else. I definitely don't need God to tell me how to handle this. Let me figure this out for myself. And so when we talk that way, we end up going down our own roads, living our own lives, creating our own situations, prizing our own liberty, our own independence above everything else because I've got this. I know how to do this. I'm better on my own. Today, we're reading a passage that talks about that, that temptation that we have, that temptation that we have to think that because we know how things should be, we would be better off alone. We would be better off doing things for ourselves. Go ahead and turn with me to Psalm 133. We're nearing the end of this section of the Psalms. They're called Songs of Ascent. Songs for our journeys as we head through life towards the worship of God. Psalm 133 addresses this. It's a real short. and says, A Song of Ascent of David. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. When brothers live in unity. It is like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard. Down on the collar of his robe. It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion. For there the Lord bestows his blessing or commands his blessing, even life forevermore. Let's pray. God, as we read this, help us to, to have your mind about unity and unity of heart. In Jesus' name, amen. This uh this psalm starts with this idea how good and pleasant it is when brothers or God's people. Dwell together in unity when there is harmony among God's people. What this passage is going to call us to today is to cherish and pursue unity of heart. The unity of heart. Because what that, that first verse says when brothers or God's people live together in unity, dwell together in unity. There's these two ideas. Brothers, God's people. And when they're dwelling together in unity, when they're like really together together. Be, we would say, well, they're, they're brothers. They're, so there's this level of like connectedness already. Like we, we got the same parents. We're part of the same family. There's already something that binds us. But this says how good and pleasant it is when those brothers that are already united are actually truly united, when it's deep down in the heart, when they're not just united because of parents, not just be united because of blood, when God's people are not just kind of, well, okay, we're, we're God's people. So, But when there's actual like unity of heart, deep down harmony, bonds that go deeper than blood, how good and pleasant it is. What I want to show you in this is that I want to show you three reasons to cherish and pursue unity of heart in this passage. Three reasons to cherish and pursue unity of heart. First, verse one tells us to cherish unity because it is both good and delightful. You you see, it's this idea, uniting God's people, brothers, who dwell together in this deep, deep level. And what it says about that is how good and pleasant it is. Your translation could say wonderful and delightful, but the, the, the point he's pointing us to is how good and pleasant it is. Good is like this objective word. It's actually good. Something that's out there in the world, all of us can look at it and say, this is good. But not only is it good, maybe in the way that a, a certain a vegetable might be good, but it's also delightful. There's an experience of delight and wonderment of pleasure that comes from it. Psalm 133 is calling us to cherish unity because not only is it a good thing, it's also a pleasure and a delight, something deep down and good for us. You see, in our world, we usually value independence and freedom and liberty and individualism. Like this is like, don't encroach on my rights, on my happiness, on my way of living. We usually, we say, well, I like friends, but as long as those friends aren't encroaching on me and my desires and what I want to do, and so we end up saying how good and pleasant it is when everybody in the world leaves me alone, lets me do my own thing. How good and pleasant it is when I accomplish my work projects on my own, because I know I can do it better. Uh, How good and pleasant it is when everybody gets on my page. But this psalm doesn't tell us that. This is how good and pleasant it is when brothers or God's people live together in unity, a deep down unity of heart, calling us to cherish and uh, value to pursue unity because it is a good thing and a delightful thing. Putting those two things together, beginning to count a collective mentality in the church, uh, a togetherness, a fellowship, a deep down heart unity in the church and valuing that above other things. So on this saw, on this journey that we go on where we're tempted to say, everybody leave me alone. Instead, we should cherish and say, God says that unity of heart is good. Man, I want that. God says that unity of heart is a deep pleasure. And so that connects for some of us. Some of us need to actually go, you know what? I don't actually think unity is very, very good. And God, I, I want to agree with you that unity of heart is a good thing. God, I, I, maybe I can on some level say that it's good, but I have not experienced the delight that comes from a true unity of heart. God, I, I want that that. That kind of unity. You might be listening and you go, unity is in like just like covering over problems. We've all experienced family members or situations where somebody where there's problems, there's disunity. And some of us or other people in our lives are tempted to just kind of Cover it over and be like, oh, let's just cover this over with grace. I uh, I just, I want to have a relationship with you. So I'm not going to bring it up. I'm not going to say something that hurts your feelings. That's not unity of heart. That just, I call it the hangout. We, I'm just, I'm going to hang out and I'm not going to bring up the problems that are between us or my family. We're not going to bring up the problems that are between us. We're just going to love each other by ignoring the problem and just like forgiving each other and moving on. The, the other thing I call call out, uh, I was taught to call it the call out, where we just go, you know what, there's a problem here. I'm going to call it out. If you don't fix it, get off, you know, get out of my life. That kind of, that I'm going to call that out. None of those are really, that's not unity of heart. This is something deeper that doesn't use a problem or conflict as an occasion to win, but also doesn't brush it aside that just says, oh, let's just overlook that. What we're called to do in this is to have a unity of heart that doesn't say, I'm going to put my desires on the shelf, but instead, I want to bind my heart with yours. I want to reconcile with you. I want the conflicts between us to be invitations for us to grow together, not to be separated farther from each other. And so this passage calls us to cherish that kind of unity because it is good and delightful doesn't not creating more conflict or not ignoring the conflict, but instead actually knitting our hearts together in love. When I think about that idea of good and delightful, I think of watermelon because watermelon is one of, as a fruit that I love when it's, when it's the good kind. You know, we've all had the kind that is kind of mushy and it's, Maybe it was on sale at the grocery store or, but like the good kind of watermelon is the kind that's crisp and that's refreshing. I would also, I would say it's both good and delightful because since it's mostly water, I can eat as much as I want. My family makes fun of me because some one time I think I ate half of a watermelon in one sitting because I was like, this is so good. It is both like objectively good, but it brings so much delight and I don't have to worry that I just ate half of a watermelon. It's not like eating half of a tub of ice cream. Watermelon is something that is good and delightful in my life. And so I prize it and I cherish it. And when we find a good one, I am so happy that we found a good watermelon. This passage says that the unity of heart, far better than watermelon. Is both good and delightful, and we have to cherish it. We have to pursue it and begin to have the mind of God of around unity of heart. Say, God, can I value it as like a precious thing, as something that I find so incredibly valuable and delightful? So will you cherish unity of heart? Will you today say, I, I'm going to value this highly, like true unity, not the kind where we just cover over problems and, and ignore problems, not the kind where we just fight about things to try and get everybody on my page, but a true unity of heart where we are bound together, working for each other's good. Will you cherish that unity of heart? Maybe you need to say, God, I have so much unity of heart to be thankful for. Things in my marriage, things with a good friend, we're knit together together. Tightly, unity of heart, God. I have experienced unity of heart, God. I want to be. I want to thank you for this gift that you've given me. I'm going to be thankful for the unity that I have experienced and I do have right now, and I want to cherish it and pursue it. I want to wrap. I want to think about it the way God thinks about it as good and delightful. That's the first reason that we cherish and pursue unity of heart. The second reason we cherish and pursue unity of heart is because it is a sacred gift. And work of God. Cherish unity because it is a sacred gift and work of God. Verses 2 and the beginning of verse 3 says, It is like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion. That is weird to our normal way of speaking. But when we begin when we begin to get into like this is poetry. Images that are meant to t- teach us something, but rather than just give us a, a like a definition we look up in the dictionary or an encyclopedia entry, instead it gives us this picture. It is like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. What's going on there? What is the image that's going. Aaron was Moses' brother, and it was in his line that the family of priests came. And so, and what they would do when they would make a when someone would become a priest is he would be anointed with a precious oil. It was a sacred thing that was happening. That the, the a priest who would stand before God on behalf of the people would get anointed with precious oil. And so that was a, a very special thing because the people wanted to relate with God and needed a priest to do that. And so that's this what this image is. It's the unity of heart is precious because it's a sacred gift. This is something that that is sacred. We need somebody to stand between us and God. And unity of heart is a precious thing like that. It is a sacred thing that that allows us to relate to God. And so it's pointing to this sacred gift of the priest being anointed with oil. Unity of heart is like a sacred gift. Just like Aaron being set apart to represent the people to God. This is a sacred gift that God gives to his people, unity of heart. And not only that, but then the beginning of verse three says, it is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion. Her, Mount Hermon was the tallest mountain in the kingdom of the north. And Mount Zion was the tallest mountain in the kingdom of the south. So you would never have an occasion when the dew on the mountain in Hermon and the dew on Zion would like be the same. I mean, these are mountains in totally different places. But what he's pointing this image is that like, it, it, unity of heart would be like the, the, the most special, the highest places in these two kingdoms being united. Unity of heart between two people is actually having to be a work of God like the dew of these two places. It's impossible for them to be united, the dew to show up in both places at the same time. That would have to be a work of God in the same way that unity of heart has to be a work of God. So not only is unity of heart a sacred gift in the same way that precious oil anointing a priest is a sacred gift, but uh, unity is a work of God in the same way that it would take a work of God to unite the kingdoms and to make dew fall on these two mountains so far apart from each other. So this passage calls us to cherish unity because it is, it is a sacred gift and work of God. It is no small thing for, the, for somebody to experience true, deep, heart, gut-level harmony. It's not a small thing. It's a sacred thing, a sacred gift of God. It is, it is a work of God for two hearts to be knit together. And so I mentioned earlier this, this, this format that I learned of some people hang out Well, it's just paper over over problems, but that's not real unity. Some people call out, that's not real unity either. It's going to take a work of God for people to have united hearts. God has to do it. We have to cherish unity of heart because it's a precious thing that God has to do. We can't just do that and be like, oh, here's a couple, here's a couple mechanisms that, that we can follow, and all of a sudden our hearts will be bound together. God himself has to unite people who are separated from each other. People whose desires, whose wishes, whose dreams can be so far apart. It's going to take a God's work to unite people, to unite a family, to unite a church. It's going to take God's work to do that kind of thing. What we find in the Bible is that that's God's pattern. God is the one who specializes in doing things like bringing two mountains and two kingdoms together. God is the one who specializes in making axe heads float, who specializes in the Old Testament and the New Testament in raising the dead. God is the one who specializes in parting the Red Sea so that his people can go to freedom. God is the one who specializes in rescuing people That's that's the pattern of the Bible is that God is the one who does things that only God can do. God can unite people that are separated from each other. God can do this. That's the God that we see throughout the Bible. And so the application of this is, will we actually pray for unity? If, If unity of heart is actually a work of God, then that means that the proper response for us is to say, to begin to pray, God, can you bring unity in my house? Can you bring unity between two people, husband and wife, or between parents and children? God, can you bring unity to my workplace? Maybe I'm not married and so I don't have unity in my household, but God, can you bring unity to me, some deep heart level unity in my friendships? God, can you bring deep heart-level unity to my extended family? God, can you bring deep heart-level unity to our church? Because we're not going to be united with, a, with some kind of a program or a sermon series with some kind of wishful thinking. God, if we're going to be united, you're going to have to do it. And so we're going to begin to pray. Will you put that somewhere in your life to say, I actually want to pray. For this deep unity that is a sacred gift and work that only God can do. Well, I cherish unity because that is God's sacred gift to me and God's work. The third reason that we cherish and pursue unity, unity of heart, is we cherish unity because it reflects the joy and character of God. We cherish unity because it reflects the joy and the character of God. Verse three, end of verse three says, for there, that is in unity of heart, for in unity of heart, the Lord bestows his blessing or commands his blessing, even life forevermore. This this passage is like unity of heart, how good and pleasant it is. Oh, it's like this, it's like this. I was like, Here's it. Because unity of heart is something that God commands. It's a blessing that God commands. It is a a blessing that God bestows on his people, even life forevermore. J.A. Meyer points out that this is, it's not like, well, if you're united in heart, then God's going to give you life forevermore as if it's some kind of like a salvation like transaction. Oh, I just do this. So God will love me. No, the point in this is that God gives his kind of life, life forevermore. as as an outgrowth of this unity of heart that he bestows, that he commands us towards. This, this This is the life and character of God. This is the blessing that he gives out. It is a unity of heart, life forevermore. All of these things get bound up together in this command or this bestowal of blessing. This reflects the joy and character of God himself. And so he blesses his people with that with unity of heart. How is unity of heart this? Joe, how does this reflect the joy and the character of God? I think this is what we see when we we begin to look through the Bible and see the Trinity. This, the teaching of the Bible that God is one, that three are God, That, that God is three in one. We find this this life in God of joy of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit as they find joy in blessing one another, in loving one another. And the world is an outgrowth of that. We find the very character of God in this united heart that we find in the Trinity. John 17, you may want to turn there with me, talks about this very specifically. John 17, verses 20 to 23. Jesus says, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That's Jesus right there praying for you and I. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me so that they may be brought to complete unity, that the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. John 17 shows us how it is that God bestows blessing in unity of heart. John 17 shows us how the very character and joy of God is ours to experience in unity of heart, that we are actually invited in the gospel to participate in the joy and unity of the Father, Son, and Spirit. John 17 invites us into this divine life with God. Jesus says, I in them and you in me. So we we are called to cherish unity of heart because it is reflecting the joy and character of God. And so when we experience the joy and character of God in the unity of heart in our relationships with other people, When we experience that in the church, we are actually experiencing a gift of God and the actual reality of God's life that he has extended to us. And so we are called to cherish this gift, to cherish unity of heart, because it is pointing us to what we are going to one day fully experience when we dwell with God and reign with him forever. We get a little taste of that in a marriage where there's a united heart, in a friendship when there's a united heart, in a church where there's united hearts. We get a little taste of the divine life that we will get to experience when we dwell with God forever in heaven. So this passage calls us to cherish and pursue unity of heart for these three reasons. Because it is good and delightful, because it is a sacred gift and work of God, and because it reflects the joy and character of God himself. Unity of heart. Will we cherish it? Will we pray for it? Will we long for it? Will we pursue it? If you're like me, I started by listing all the ways that I can often just say, I'll do it myself. I'd rather do this alone. I don't want another group project. I don't want to depend on somebody else who might let me down. I don't want somebody who will do it differently than I do it. God and everybody else just leave me alone and let me set up my own kingdom. Where is the good news in this passage for somebody like me, somebody like you, who does not cherish unity of heart, who lives in our own kingdoms, setting up our own ways? Where's the good news for us? The good news is that Jesus Himself fulfills this passage for us. Jesus is the one who, in our salvation, tears down the walls that separate us from other people and that separates us from God so we can actually have no barrier that stands between us and true unity of heart because Jesus himself was torn in our place. Jesus is the one who hung on the cross saying, Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? Jesus is the one who experienced the most absolute disunity for you and for me. So the unity of heart is not something we have to earn, something we have to work for. It's something that we receive from Jesus. Ephesians 4 really talks about this. Ephesians 4, verse 14 to 22. You can turn there. You can write down that reference. You may want to read it later. Ephesians 4, verse 14. I'm sorry. Ephesians 2, verse 14 to 22. Talks about this idea of hostility and disunity in the church and in the world. And this is what he says. the people of Israel, and everybody else, the Gentiles. God is making the thing that divides all people. He is making it one. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away, and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. And here we go. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but now fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. That one of the results of our salvation in Jesus Christ is that he tears down all of the things that divide us from other people, that divide us from God's promised people, the Jews. And instead, he unites all of us together. Gentiles and Jews, all of us can be included in Jesus. And so unity of heart can actually be ours when we are united to Christ. We can experience that, not on the basis of our work, not on the basis of how hard we try to cherish it, but on the fact that Jesus himself joins people to God. And so unity of heart is really possible. How does that become ours? Joe, you've you've talked about being joined to Jesus. You've, You've talked about how Jesus was torn in our place. The Bible tells us that God made the world and he made it good. And he looked at Adam and Eve and he looked at everything that he had made and he said, it is very good. And he put Adam and Eve in a garden and he said, you will be the little kings under me. Rule and reign this world underneath me and my authority. But Adam and Eve and everyone after them said, no, we do not want to live your way. We will not live under your authority. We will break your rules and set up our own. So Adam and Eve were cast out of that garden, experiencing spiritual and physical death. And that's where physical death and spiritual death entered into the world because we rejected God in rebellion, separating ourselves from him, saying, I will do it myself. The very nature of of sin is reflected in this passage in the need for, we need unity because the very beginning of sin was a disunity, was a I will do it my way. Instead of leaving us there, the Bible tells us that Jesus came and lived the life that we should live under God's authority, then died the death that we should die as God's enemies, and was raised to life as God's great yes, so that everyone, this is how it becomes ours, so that everyone who repents of sin, that is a changing of the mind, a turning away from rebellion, and turning to Jesus, So, that as we turn away from our sin and our own way of living in our own kingdoms and we take Jesus, the Bible tells us that is then when we become united to Christ, entering into the divine life, fellowship with God, with true unity of heart between us and God, and the possibility of true unity of heart between us and others. If you have questions about that, if you want that to be yours, man, This passage says unity of heart can be ours, pointing us to the fact that Jesus is the one that we get that through. And so this can be yours today by praying and receiving from God this gift of Jesus. If you have questions about that, reach out to me. Leave a comment on this video. Reach out to our church. Go to our church website, belgiumchurch.com. We would love to walk down this road with you because we want and believe that it's possible to have true unity of heart because of what Jesus has done for us. So, what changes? What changes if we begin to walk down this road? What changes if we begin to cherish and pursue unity of heart? Not just like surface peace. We're not just, a, we're not, I'm not just in a family or in a workplace or, or having a friendship or, where we just, well you know, we don't talk about the problems between us. What changes? Imagine what changes when there's true unity of heart. I can really reveal what's happening in my heart. And I feel safe. And you feel you unit safe to share what's really in your heart. And we can know that we love one another and care for one another. Imagine the difference that that makes. Imagine the difference it makes when there's a family in which there are people that are really united at, at a heart level, not just cooperating, but like united that's good and delightful, It is pleasant. Imagine the difference that it makes for there to be a church that's united in heart, not tolerating one another, not using one another, but united in heart and saying, we, we love each other deeply. We walk with each other deeply. How good and pleasant that kind of church can be for a community, for the world. Let's pray. God, as we pray, uh, we want that kind of heart level unity. We we ask you for heart level unity in our our lives, in our extended families, in in our own families, in our workplaces, in our church, in our community, in our country, and in our world. God, we long for the kind of unity of heart that only you can make happen. Send that to us, in Jesus' name, amen.